Hi guys, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Ira Wolf. Ira is described as a millennial trapped in a baby boomer body and certified prophet of workforce trends. Today we're going to be talking about adapting to and leading your teams through changing environments. Ira is an accomplished speaker, author and president of Success Performance Solutions and has emerged as one of HR's most visionary thinkers. I'm really excited to have Ira with me for today's episode. But before we dive into today's subject, Ira, please can you briefly introduce yourself to our Giant Talk listeners? Hey, thanks very much, Carly. It's a pleasure to be here. And I I think you captured it pretty well. Again, many people know me as a a millennial trapped in the baby boomer body. Uh, I started um, my company, which is Success Performance Solutions, uh, 26 years ago. It's hard to believe. Uh, Quite a few things have changed. And and over those years, uh, because of the business, I've obviously followed what the future of work would be, what future trends would be, uh, tried to to not necessarily my, my 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 ambition was not to become an influencer, um, but because of my passion to understand what that was, and so many people were struggling, um, I did become an you know one of the one of the top HR and future work influencers. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not a bad title to have, so that's good. So let's first start by setting the scene, and um, and one thing that is ever constant is change. But in your opinion, have the events of the last let's say 12 to 24 months advanced or affected change and how do you think? Yeah, that's one of the most common questions I have of how has the Mm -hmm. pandemic, how has the last 18 to 24 months uh, Mm -hmm. changed things? And the the pat answer is that it accelerated the change. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm going to put that as a caveat too. Uh, A lot of the change was happening already. Uh, People just didn't want to admit it. They didn't recognize it. And what the last two years has done is it just kind of ripped open the curtain, pulled off the Band-Aid, whatever metaphor you want to use. Um, a lot of these things were were happening already. And as I said, employers, employees, uh, just people in general didn't want to admit it. The, the parallels are, are much like climate change, where you, you have people that are, you know, the science says uh, that the oceans are heating up, the glaciers are are uh, melting, the the weather is just much more violent, it's more frequent, uh, all these changes are happening. And at some point, one day is going to go, how did this happen? And that's, I, I call it the perfect labor storm. Mm-hmm. And 21 years ago, I started to talk about the perfect labor storm. And literally, it, almost 21 years to the day, uh, I gave my first presentation. And at that time, people were talking about what's going on with this next younger generation. Why mm-hmm. is it so hard to find people? Why do we have these skill gaps? Um, the the internet was in its early was in its early stages, uh, or at least the World Wide Web was in the early stages. Bandwidth we were still using dial up at that time, uh, so we we can go back. But we we talked about all these changes, and here we are two decades later, and everyone goes, "Wow, this this how did this happen overnight?" Mm-hmm. Well, even for somebody like myself uh, who just is passionate, just studies these things, saw some of these trends happening. So the reality is this last 18 or 24 months, just, it, it just hit a tipping point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of the changes were, uh, were, were happening w- well before this and whether the pandemic occurred or not, we would have been experienced similar, similar events. 
Yeah, of course. And like you said, um, it, it accelerated change. And, and what we do know, and, and we already knew before the pandemic, but I think it just um, made it a little bit more clearer, um, I guess, with, with with that change, is that agility and adaptability are essential to, to navigating change. Can you explain a little bit more about, about this? For sure. Uh, I've always been passionate about change. In fact, in my TED talk, um, you know, one of the things that sort of resonated with everybody is, is I have a slide there um, uh, or an image there, and it has me dancing with this figure and on the figure is change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, excuse me. So I've always, I've always been dancing with change. I've, I've been fascinated by it. It terrifies me at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the changes that are happening. I don't like all the changes that are happening, but they're they, they're part of reality. Um, but there's there's three. I, I think the context of this is there, there's what I call the three immutable laws of, of change. And one is that we are li- now living on an exponential curve. Uh, things are are the rate of change is doubling every ten years. And so for those of you, so baby boomers like myself. Uh, we're we're used to what we were seeing was linear change. We were seeing uh, if there was a, a you know a, a new technology, if there was a new trend, if there was an event, uh, it, it 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 that could be the keystone. That could be the 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 one event that shaped our lives, uh, or it could be the one technology. I mean, you know, electricity. Uh, just to even have the concept of electricity. Uh, took 38 years to become main to have 50 million people uh, adapt adopt it in, in the early part of the, the last century. Uh, you know, to to have a billion users uh, using a, a social media platform sometimes just takes months <laughs> or, or or maybe a year or so. So things are just adopted and changed much faster, and we need to get used to that. Uh, just to give you people an example for everything that's happened in 2020, and and you know being in the U.S., uh, you know we had an election, but we had a pandemic, um, we had social unrest, we had uh, the effects of whether it's climate change or not, but we had massive wildfires. Um, the, the, the largest number of hurricanes and tornadoes that we've ever had. So all these things are happening at once. Now, if you put that on an exponential curve, realizing in 20, in, in 20 years, all those events are going to happen in, in three months. So think of tw- 20, every, in, in 2040, we're going to have four 2020s, mm-hmm. uh, and it, which is really terrifying. <clears throat> But if we take that out another 20 years on that exponential curve, it's going to happen 11, every 11 days. So change is going to happen real, real fast. And, and again, my tagline on my on my LinkedIn profile says I'm terrified and fascinated by change. And you can mm-hmm. see why. The second part of that is, is we're living in a much more complex world. So we, we went from something simple, some almost baking a cake. If we do A's, B happens. If we go out and buy the ingredients, we follow the instructions, we put it in the oven. We Anybody can bake a cake. You don't have to be, you don't have to have a degree in that. And then things got a little bit more complicated, um, you know, and, and one of the one of the analogies of that is building a rocket ship. And although that seems like it's very complex, it's not because once it's built, if something goes wrong, the, the ships are on the launching pad and they say, we need to postpone that a day because what they do is they go out 
They diagnose it, pull out the component, put another one back in. So it, it's it's much more involved than complicated, but it's still predictable. We know how things work. We now live in a complex world, and and with complexity. It, we don't live in a just-in-time world. We have to live in a just-in-case. And people don't like that. We're not prepared. We don't. We, we like to know what's going to happen. We like time to get used to it. And and as we've learned, uh, you know, the pandemic wasn't going to say, oh, did we interrupt your schedule? Let's wait for a year so you can get ready. No, things are just going to happen immediately. And 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 the responses are much more complex. Um, you know, just again in in the U.S. The, the response was completely unpredicted uh, that there'd be this much division about getting a vaccine. You know, why would people fight the science? Why would people rather die for that? And we don't want to get into the politics of that. But we, we that was overlooked. We just assumed that once a vaccine, everybody would rush out and want to get it. So mm-hmm. the, the solutions are much more complex. And the biggest challenge, if those aren't enough, <laughs> is that humans are not very good at change. We are addicted to certainty. Uh, mm-hmm. the, our brains have not been wired, uh, especially over the last few centuries and millennia, uh, have not been wired for the degree and the amount and the extent of uncertainty that we face. Uh, we like predictability, which leads into your question. I know that was a long way around there. Mm-hmm. That how you know what's the solution to this? If if we don't have a choice and we can't alter the exponential curve, we can attempt to do it, but it's not going to is going to be ineffective. Uh, if we if if we're living in this complex world and we're not good at it, then we need to become better at change. And the way to become better at change is to learn how to become adaptable. And there's a lot of research that's coming out. There's a lot of studies. Uh, it's still evolving, uh, for sure. Um, but to, to become more adaptable, it, it in the, there's some moving parts. The, the one part is we, we, we as humans, uh, there's skills that we have to learn. And these are now being recognized. Uh, there's some really tremendous LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn did some great studies. McKinsey just came out with the report and said that the number one the number one skill for employability moving forward is adaptability. It's not a degree. It's not science. It's not STEM, Mm -hmm. uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, Those are important. Those are critical technical skills, but the number one skills is going to have to be adaptability. Uh, LinkedIn came out with a very similar study uh, for that. Deloitte has similar studies, Boston college, uh, Boston Consulting Group came out, um, Gardner, Forrester. I mean, all these groups are coming out and saying adaptability is key. Sometimes it's not number one, sometimes it's two or three, but it's still up there. So we need to become much better. Uh, The other side of that is organizations need to be, uh, to create an adaptable, an organization that allows people to be adaptable. So people aren't going to do it on their own. So what we've identified is there's five skills five personal skills that we need to develop. Uh, two of them you, most people are familiar with is grit and resilience. So we need to, we're, we're going to have to have that endurance, that perseverance, that passion, a, a goal, a purpose to keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're, even if you have grit, you're going to get knocked down. There's going to be setbacks and we need to not just recover, but recover quickly. People who have PTSD recover, but it could take years we don't have that luxury anymore. So we're going to have to learn to become better. And that's part of resiliency. It's not the fact that we rebounded, but can we rebound quickly enough to, to thrive and recover? But the other parts of that are 
uh, growth, having a growth mindset. We have to become much more comfortable with experimenting, making mistakes, continuous learning. Uh, people have people um, more and more people are going back to school. They are reskilling and upskilling, not fast enough, but then they get one skill and they stop and they go, well, I, you know, I didn't expect I'd have to do this uh, because I have, I, I'm still paying off my college loans or I've been in the workforce for 20 years and I have to learn something new. But the fact is the, the life, the half-life of a job skill today is less than five years. So even if you make an investment and you learn something new, in just a few years, you're going to have to learn something again. The counterpart to that is not only do we have to have that growth mindset to be able to do that, that open mind in this, but we have to unlearn some of the old bad behaviors. What helped us get here won't help us get forward. And so we have to learn and we have to unlearn. And then finally, we have to have an ability. And this is the toughest one. Is It's called mental flexibility. There's a lot of cognitive cognitive dissonance out there. We, we, we hear one thing and that makes sense. And then you read something else and that makes sense. You turn on the news, you read a headlines. Somebody says vaccines are safe and the other says <laughs> vaccines are, are unsafe. Uh, how do we make sense of that? And, and people want simple answers. And sometimes it's not simple. Uh, and, and there's not one rule that affects everybody. So the five skills that we all have to become better at, and, and we call them skills because we can learn them. We can teach mm -hmm. these just like we teach math and science uh, and, and English or Spanish or German or French. Uh, we can speak. You know, I, I talk about if adaptability is a language, we all need to become fluent in adaptability. How do we do that? And the components are grit, resilience, mental flexibility, growth mindset and and uh, unlearning. But in order to do that, even if we have that, we, we can't walk into an organization that says this is the way this this is the way we do things around here. And organizations have to become much better at the company culture. Uh, what's that culture look like? Um, people have to feel that they have their back, have company support. The people that they work with on a day to day basis, there's got to be team support. Uh, and then a term that's thrown out there a lot that you would have never heard of just a few years ago was was um, we call it emotional health. But the 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 more common name is, is it psychological is, is people see that there's a psychologically safe space. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Can I make a mistake? Can I speak up? Can I be vulnerable? We, we talk about being more vulnerable, being more authentic, having empathy, but does the organization allow it? And if you do it, does the team support you? Does the company support it? Uh, and then you, you have to have policies and practices and provide the resources and then recognize that some jobs are, all jobs have some stress, but the degree of stress is much higher for let's say somebody working in the ICU and healthcare these days or the emergency room, uh, mm -hmm. that it might be in an accounting office. Uh, there's just increased levels of stress and companies have to recognize that it's that, well, that's why we pay you more money. More money doesn't necessarily help you get, it may keep you in the job longer, but the rate of burnout and the rate of mental illness that is accumulating. I, I just heard this last night and I, I don't, or the last day or so um, that there were, and I don't remember who it was, but it was somebody I, and, and, and this sounds crazy, but it was something I respected. It was somebody that seemed to have their act together and said the impact of the pandemic on people is not going to occur 
until the latter half of 2022 and or 2023, that that there are people still working and stressed out because they're doing their job. They're essential workers for one reason or another, that they got grit. They got, Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're just going forward. But the real impact of burnout and mental illness is not going to hit us until 2022 or 2023. And that's assuming that we depend, we do sort of get the pandemic under control. Uh, if there's another event, if there's a variant that just takes over again, and we're starting to see that a little bit in the U.S. right now, um, it's just it's going to go beyond that. But there's only so much there's only so much people have within them uh, to keep going as is. Yeah, I was just when you were saying that, I was just thinking we're we're hearing that we're in the midst of another, you know, the the other variant. Um, so it could be possibly further than 2024 that we start to feel those effects. But um, there's a lot, I guess, a lot of food for, for thought there um, with what you said, obviously um, being addicted to certainty um, and averse to change. Um, and it's interesting, the reports that you mentioned, and I'll link to a couple in, in the show notes, um, the McKinsey report, for example, about adaptability being the number one skill um, to have and obviously you mentioned the LinkedIn study so I'll pop those in the show notes for listeners to 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 have a read and although change is terrifying as you said um, although terrifying but exciting to to (laughs) you um, there are you know we hear that change in an organization can lead to positive aspects um, and thinking about encouraging innovation developing skills um, developing staff morale. Just wondered whether we could um, talk a little bit about some of the positive act- aspects of change. Yeah, you know that's so. You know we, we're we're programmed to, and this is part of the reason for our, our fear of of uh, uncertainty. Mm-hmm. We're programmed for scarcity that there's only a limited amount. There's only so many hours. There's so many so many years that we have to live. Um, there's so many, so much water on the planet. There, we we have this sense of scarcity. Scarcity, but if you if you think more in terms of abundance, uh, is how could we feed eight billion people on the planet? How could we have clean water? How could everybody have an education? How can we eradicate illiteracy? Uh, how can we have you know, it, there's no question. Um, there's very little question. I can't say there's no question, but there's very little question based on the research that that um, that the current generation is probably going to have people living to be 150 years old. Now, the question is, is how do you have a quality of life through 150? Whereas the last 50 years is going to be similar. I mean, my mother's 98 and and she's incredible. She does incredible for 98 years old. Uh, I know people 99 and 100 years old living alone. Um, they're very capable uh, of, of doing that, but they have limitations. I mean, there's physical limitations. My mother's, you know, losing some uh, her, her one. Her eyesight is bad, so she needs some care. I mean, to think that she could <laughs> that in the future, people can live 50 years longer than that. It means that at 100, people are going to have to be healthy. So what are the possibilities? Um, the research is there. If we if you use the pandemic as an example, uh, just think of what the pen, what our experience is, is terrifying and disruptive and transformative as it was, what it would be, would it have been like without technology? Now, I know everybody got Zoom fatigue, got tired, <laughs> but imagine if this happened in 2010, 
just 10 years ago, or maybe even 2015, uh, that, that although the technology was available, we had the internet, but we didn't have bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had somebody on my podcast, on, on another podcast that I had ten, uh, in, in 2010, and he technically had the first Zoom. He was a startup. And the timing wasn't right. He closed it down three years later. He couldn't get investors. People weren't adapting it. Part of it was there wasn't bandwidth. There wasn't the impetus to do that. Uh, so, but even the vaccine, if you want it or not, the vaccine was created through technology. It's not a live vaccine as, as you know, polio is a live vaccine. You're injected with a small dose of, mm-hmm. of polio to, to, to cure that or measles or whatever it might, even the flu annually on the flu. Um, it was through an mRNA virus. So it was literally manufactured through technology. Um, where would we have been? If we didn't have the technology to get us through this, one is we still wouldn't have a vaccine because it takes five to 10 years to, to mm-hmm. do it by vaccination. Uh, but the other thing is we would have had, and again, I know the U.S. numbers more, there were 30 million people that were out of work, but there was 110 million people that still had jobs. And and had we not had the technology to have Zoom meetings, to send everybody home to work remote for those months, they would have either been out of a job or they would have had to continue to commute and go into the office. Think about the hospitalizations, think about the infection rates, thinks about the deaths that would have occurred from that. So mm-hmm. if, if we look at, we, we're only looking at the bad stuff. If we look at all the, the advances that were made, um, you know, and one of the biggest advances in HR uh, or, or employers, if they take advantage of it and don't screw it up, unfortunately, some are screwing it up, is it allows people to have more flexibility. It allows people not to commute. If you don't have many as people commuting, then maybe we can cut down on our carbon emissions. Um, it, we're, we have people spending a ton of money driving back and forth to work, wasting their days. They're not spending time with their kids. Um, there's, there's a whole lot of things that could happen for the good if we allow it to happen. And But people don't like that certainty. And what they like is we, we're going to get back to work. We're going to get back to this normal that really didn't exist before. Uh, be going how we started this conversation, mm-hmm. we started the conversation by saying uh, that we're not that uh, many of these trends were happening anyway. They were just pushed under the carpet. They put thrown behind the curtain. And someday when we have time, we'll deal with them. And that time came. Mm-hmm. It, it's crazy when you think about it like that. Like you said, if it, if, this, if the pandemic was to happen in 2010, just how how different it would be. Um, so yeah, some more food for Di- Dial-up was still 50% of, uh, you know, people were still on dial-up and, and many people didn't even have access to the internet. Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, we, we, I think my, might the cities might've had 3g then I, I don't remember when the cutoff was 3g and 4g. Um, but now, you know, we're, they're rolling out 5g and they're working on 6g. I mean, had we not had that bandwidth and look at all the challenges we had, we wouldn't have been able to do video streaming, uh, as, as much as now. And, and now we can do it all, even on a wireless phone. When, when you think about it, that the, in 2010, the iPad was just introduced, uh, so you had would have had a desktop or a laptop, uh, and the iPhone was in the first version, and it was only out for two, uh, 2007 it came out. So mm-hmm. all these things that we were able to just pick up 
and leave, and, and many people literally left the office without equipment, but you can still function because you had a you had at least a laptop or an or a tablet or a smartphone that had that ability. Of, we we don't have that. Even in 2015, we didn't have some of that. No, and this is probably quite a broad question, but what questions should organizations be asking themselves before implementing change? Well, they need to implement a response to change. Mm -hmm. Uh, The change is happening one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the, the first thing to do, I would look at is how... How how adaptable, and I want to say how adaptable is the organization because the only organization is only as adaptable as the people in it. So it's a chicken or the egg. But are are we accommodating? Are we encouraging? Are we embracing? Are we understanding the challenge that's in front of us? So what can we do? How do we how do we ensure that the people feel that we have their back? We how do we admit to them? We know this is going to be difficult. We know this is difficult for you. We know it's stressful, but we can provide the resources for you. Um, you know, again, the people that I work with on an everyday basis, because some organizations are large. If you're in a small business with 10 people, the team and the org and the and the company are the same thing. But what can we do to better support people to recognize that people are stressed out to, you know, how do we deal with the stress that they have at home? Uh, that is, hey, we're, we're going to pay you more money, but you need to leave your home life, you know, at home. When you walk through that door, you're us or when you're on the screen. So people have organizations have to say, what do we need to do to thrive uh, in what is defined as a VUCA world, V-U-C-A, which is volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. That is the world we live in. Um, But the other part is, is we need to recognize we need to help people become better at adapting and reskilling and upskilling and training and coaching and mentoring and whatever that is is we have to recognize what are the abilities, you know, how how ready, how um, we, we have an assessment, an AQ assessment. And one of the, the skills, uh, one of the, the dimensions that we measure is change readiness. It, it's how overall, how ready is our, our, our employees for change? And if they're not, then you, you basically need to create a different environment, a different culture, uh, but you also need to train the people. If the people are and you're struggling, then maybe you're maybe it's your culture that's not supporting them. Maybe you have the right people in place. So two like you know it's it's two components of you really need to be sensitive to the culture. Do, are we allowing? Are we going to uh, allow people to grow and thrive? And 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 by the way, if you don't, then you're not going to grow and innovate. So if the premise is how do we grow and innovate in the future? then you're going to have to be adaptable. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, do we have a culture that's, that is, is aligned with that? And then do we have the people that are, are going to be capable of doing that? And how do we fast track that? So the question people should be asked or is, you know, how, how prepared, how ready, how going back to my analogy before, how fluent are we in adaptability? Yeah, and I think it's an interesting point that you've touched on culture there and previously about psychological safety. Um, and like you said, it's a, it's a huge part of it. I think to take out that scary aspect for employers, employees, sorry, and, and you know, ensure that they're all on board and all aligned. Um, so that's a really important part. And 
the the culture aspect is is something that at their big giants um we work closely with with clients on their their culture and looking at their internal culture as well and just to touch on OKR, something that OKRs can provide organisations with is an agile framework to help them shift to ever-changing environments. How can organisations shift their focus in a cohesive, transparent and aligned way? So for, you know, I assume all your li- your listeners, but some of the people that may be tuning in from for, for me, um, you know, may not be familiar with OKRs. Um, so you know, we're talking about outcomes and key results. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're looking at is, and, and that's what we need to put this in context. I mean, how, so going back to one of the questions that, that we, we just kind of left was how are you fluent? Is your organization and your people fluent in adaptability? How prepared are mm-hmm. they? How change ready are they? You know, the next question is, is how change ready do they need to be? Just because let's say on a scale of one to a hundred, hundred percent means they're really, really change ready, but maybe in your industry, maybe in, in your particular environment, maybe in your market, um, maybe, maybe you, you were prepared before, uh, maybe things aren't changing as rapidly. It's not a universally, the, the background, our environment's changing, but may, maybe the, the competition or the threat, uh, to your, to your organization, maybe it's on a 20 year change pattern pattern, not not a 10 year pattern. Uh, so part of it is is assessing how quick how, put it into context and that's where the outcomes and, and the key results would come into. What are your expectations? What needs to happen? If you're anticipating that we need to enter a new market, create a new product, we need to uh, release something, uh, whatever that may be, is what outcome, or, or it may be a you know a, a a bigger goal. It may be saving the world. It may be clean water for everybody. Uh, maybe better education. Whatever that is, is there's our outcome, and here's how we're going to measure it. Um, how do we get there? And how big of a gap do we have between where we are now and where we need to be? And just putting a new strategy in place, just hiring a few more good people, right people, mm-hmm. isn't going to fix the problem. If you don't have the right culture, if those people aren't going to be there, the good people you have aren't going to be there. If you have the right culture, but you don't have the right people in place and you don't support them just because you say, well, we're doing everything right. No, you're not doing everything right. If you don't equip the people with, with the right skills and help them become comfortable, because it's, it, there are some people like myself that are willing to take some risks and go out and do it. I'm in the minority. Many people, that's a small percentage of the population. Majority of the population is just very, very uncomfortable with taking risks, with uncertainty. And we need to, we need to help them become okay. They don't have to be experts, Mm -hmm. but they need to be okay at being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And what, as somebody with the finger on the pulse of the future of work, again, sorry, this is going to be another broad question, but what are your foresights for the future and, and what should organisations be planning for? I guess, yeah, what are your foresights for the future in, in terms of the future of work? I know you've already mentioned that, um, you know, the rate of change is exponential and talking about, you know, it happened in every 11 days. I think you said 2040 is yeah. very scary, but um, I wondered if there's anything, any sort of 
I don't want to say trends, but anything that you you kind of can pre- predict. Yeah. Well, our reliance on technology is going to continue. Uh, that there's no question, you know, about that. But and and again, we haven't dealt with the ethics of that. So uh, again, I, I'm going to take. You know, we've said this several times already. To be fascinated by change because there's so much good that can happen, but terrified by it. So the the thought that we could live longer, healthier, quality lives, be more productive, that we could um, you know have more equity, uh, that we have less division, uh, that we have enough water and safe water and food to drink, uh, that we have all those things. Those are all the good sides. The bad side is every one of those things I talk about could be a weapon. You know, that that we if, if we could give and, and this has come out truly, I mean, we're, we're living what the challenge of the future is going to be, that we, we we can prevent people from being hospitalized and dying from a vaccine um, that we're putting into a body, which was done on a micro level with an mRNA to be able to adjust that in the genetics and being able to alter the genetic code. And at the same time, that means that other people are viewing that, that the government's injecting these micro, micro these microchips in people that they're going to be able to monitor them and take over and control them. The reality is not that the vaccine's doing that. The reality, though, is that's a possibility. And how do we how do we guard against it? How far do we go if we could if somebody tomorrow comes up with the cure for that, if we flip this gene um, that we could cure cancer, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's, dementia, um, how do we prevent that from somebody taking that to their advantage to create a super race that only the wealthy get that, um, you know, humans have screwed up a lot of things and, um, that's the terrifying part is where we're not even addressing that we we've got, you know, again, I'm going to go back to what I know best is living in the U S is, you know, um, they're, they're taking the social media, uh, CEOs and grilling them in front of, of of so of of uh, Congress um, about more controls, um, the 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 toothpaste is out of the tube. Uh, it's there. Yes, we need them. Um, but is that the that is an important crisis? But there's so much attention put on there because it's popular that no one wants to touch the other aspects that are going on um, because the technology is advancing at such an incredible rate and. Um, there, nobody's addressing it. No, there is. There's no. There are pockets of discussions about the ethics of technology in the future, um, but there's no. You know, no, nobody attend. There's there's people that are passionate about it, but it's it's certainly not the most popular, you know, topic. And people want to say, well, somebody else will figure that out, or we're just going to not use technology. I mean, the the, the other solution is we're just going to back away. Uh, you know, that's not going to affect us in our backyard. We're, you know, we're rural, or that's that. You know, we're in a different industry, or that's not our belief, or the government will protect us and. 
all those things aren't true because change is happening faster than than people. There, there was a, a, a visual that I saw the other day, and you know, technology looks like this hockey stick that just went up, and people's adaptation is is still sort of linear. It's like, oh, well, we have time to figure it out. Mm-hmm. We don't. So the, the future of work to me again is fascinating and terrifying. I, I think uh, you know we have so many discussions around in-person versus remote and, and the variations of hybrid work uh, that's going to go on for a few years, but that's going to be a reality in itself. Um, I teach a class in a master's level leadership class and, and my class is on organizational change. And uh, we had somebody a guest lecture the other day and he, he talked about Uber air and, you know, being able to have not, not be able to, to, to hail a, a car, not to be able to call on your smartphone, a car, but this, to call a plane, a, a little microplane that seats four people. Uh, and it was like, well, that's crazy. That's a Jetson stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet in 2023, there's several there in Los Angeles, New York, and a couple other cities. They will actually have Uber Air. That's gonna, literally mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, there, there's actually in 2023, the first space hotel is going to open. I mean, we're we're talking about, you know, the, the flights, um, you know, Jeff Bezos um, and uh, Richard Branson, mm-hmm. you know, going up, going up to space. The reality is, is going up to space and spending a week for vacation, you know, in a in a space, not a space shuttle, but a hotel, a resort that they're going to have activities. Uh, it's being built now. So what's what does that bring what opportunities, and that may be only for the wealthy and, and for a select few people, but over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, what does that mean for our kids and our grandkids for, you know, we've, we've got a few decades between us, Carly, uh, mm-hmm. but what does that mean for you? What are the opportunities? What about your your kids um, and, and their kids? Uh, what What's that look like? Do, do we go to a Caribbean island for a vacation or do we, <laughs> do we go 100,000 miles into space? Uh, and and but what but there's so much we can learn. We learned so much from going to the moon. Um, it wasn't necessarily the landing on the moon and what we learned and what what minerals and what capacity was up there. Uh, what we learned was on the way. How did we treat people? What about gravity? How do we feed people? There, there, how do we care for people? There was so much we learned about the, the human body. Uh, by doing that uh, was that, you know, and that was 50 years ago um, that, that that happened. Um, that's going to, con- that that's going to continue on. So, um, you know, I, I just, I, on the same vein, you know, I grew up wondering if, you know, the man was, it was, it was a man in the moon and, you know, was it made of cheese? Uh, we're certainly well advanced from that. The showing my age too. Um, but there, I, I can't remember who the individual was, but somebody bought the mining rights, all the mining rights for the moon. Somebody owns the mining rights now for the moon. They pay for the, the, it was billions of dollars. They paid for that. Uh, so, you know, who, who knows where that's going to go? Maybe just wasted billions of dollars. But uh, on the other hand, it is there, you know, right now we have a shortage of semiconductors. We can't, um, we, there's no, we can't get planes. We can't get cars. We, we can't build computers. Uh, yeah. as mm-hmm. can because we don't, and, and the, 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 one of the diminishing metals is cobalt, but, um, asteroids are, uh, and, and a lot of the, 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 the debris 
that's out there and a lot of the natural debris that's out there um, has cobalt. So are there minerals that might be even better that we're going to be able to mine in space? And there are people doing that right now. Uh, and, and so that's the, you know, that's the future. So technology is not going to slow down. Um, people are going to pursue that. It's going to help us live to be 150 and, and be healthy. Um, but we haven't figured out all the implications of that. It's fascinating. And I think there's, I mean, we could have a complete separate podcast on on the future of work. And um, yeah, I'm just still thinking about calling in an Uber air. <laughs> um, it's fascinating. So yeah, there's so many topics that we could have covered today. And I think we've only just scratched the surface, but um, are there any sort of, we like to leave our listeners with a final tip. Are there any final tips that you would offer to help organisations, I guess, um, linking back to change um, and managing change? Um, I know it's not predictable, as you said, um, but any lasting thoughts on, on the topic? Yeah, the, the, the future, you know, it, this is going to be unpredictable. I mean, it, mm. again, it's going to be VUCA. It's going to be it's going to be fast changing, which is volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. Um, it is in is embrace that be learn how to become more comfortable with that. Um, you know, we you know, I mentioned earlier, we work with an assessment um, that looks at that. And, you know, I hopefully we can encourage people, whether it's ours or someone else's to take a good look. How, how do really, it, you, you need a, if it's a snapshot or a microscope, uh, you need to look within, how can we help people become better, more comfortable with change? Mm -hmm. And, and how do we build a company culture that, allows that to happen, embraces that and supports its people. Our, there's, there's, there's been talk about company culture for so long about, you know, we need to go back to normal. The normal of company culture in 2019 wasn't very good. No. <laughs> you know, there, were, there was, it, it, most people said the company culture didn't support, you know, really wasn't supportive. People just got a paycheck and went home. So, Going back is not an option. Um, and, or, you know, my tip, you know, and it's a big tip is people need to, to say, what is adaptability? How do we come better? How do we come become better at it as an organization? And how do we help our people? That is going to be the solution, uh, the key to growing and innovating. If growth and innovation is on your strategy list, if that is your ultimate OKR, <laughs> is growth and innovation then you can't do it without adaptability thank you Ari. it's been really really interesting to talk to you today um, and just going back to that lasting culture point um i think obviously culture has always been important but i think it came became even more important during obviously the pandemic and more and more people were realizing the importance and it's something that we we've, we've spoken about um about purpose being more important than a paycheck um and i think more and more individuals when they're looking at their current roles or looking to move roles um culture has, has sort of jumped up the list of priorities and also for organizations to not only retain but to recruit as well i think it um yeah culture has, has jumped up there 
So that's fascinating. Um, again, a complete separate topic that we, we can do um, uncultured. But um, thank you for, for joining me. It's been really interesting. If you'd like to learn more about the work that Ira leads, I'll drop his um, profile along with his, a link to his latest book in the show notes. Um, that's recruiting in the age of Googleization. So really interesting. So I'll pop a link to that and also um, a couple of the, the McKinsey report and the LinkedIn study on pop a link to those as well um again thank you to ira and thank you to you our giant talk listeners for joining us for another episode if you'd like to leave any feedback you can always get in touch with us at growth at thank you thank you